before, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we were in uh, conference meetings day and night, and Saturday, we traveled up to Robert Back's church, where we were with him on Sunday, and Monday, we headed home, had a good time there, and uh, after the morning service last week, uh, we went and were with some young people there in Rockhampton with Pastor Back's church, and they all looked at Ryan and said, he looked like Chris Hemsworth, you know, Thor, and... Uh, uh, I was wondering who I was going to look like, and I again got Liam Neeson. And I thought, why does Ryan get Thor, and I get, you know, a guy in his 70s? And granted, he's, Liam Neeson's got a very specific set of skills, right? But uh, at least I didn't get Buddy Ebsen or Ernest Borgnine or something. But uh, other than that moment, we had a great time together, and uh, I'm glad to be here today. And to continue our study that we've entitled Traction. Traction. A few weeks ago... Uh, Lisa and I were coming into a Tuesday, and Tuesday's our, our off day at the church, and uh, it, we, were, we were particularly tired coming into this Tuesday. And I, I learned on Monday night that we'd made a commitment that was going to require all of our Tuesday. And the commitment we'd made was to travel up to our daughter Julie's house, and her and her husband Daniel, who are serving at Rock Hill uh, Baptist Church that, that we helped start, uh, they just got a little home. And uh, we were going to go and help them. And so Lisa and I got up early Tuesday. We hit the gym, got on the road, drove about 90 miles north to Fontana. And uh, we painted and we moved furniture and we hung things on walls and made numerous trips to stores. And uh, it was anything other than a restful day. It was enjoyable. It wasn't very restful. That night we got in the car to come home and uh, we were fatigued heading into the day. We were definitely fatigued by the end of the day. And how many of you, when you get tired, you get a little bit crabby? Anybody like that? Yeah, I don't, but Lisa does, which is a problem. And uh, we got in the car after that day and I, for the life of me, I don't remember what was said. I would share it with you, but uh, man, it just, it, a chill came over that car immediately. On the ride home, we were just quiet the whole way home. Silent irritated with one another for what it's so small I don't even remember what it was but what I remember most about that is as we were traveling home and we took the 15 down and getting on the 76 it crossed my mind as we we're almost home at this point that would be the only night Lisa and I would get together that week and I blew it an hour and a half of uninterrupted time just to be alone with my wife we could have talked about anything we could have had the best time together but something came between us that robbed us of that joy in that moment and when we simply acknowledge that to one another we're able to laugh at ourselves and things were right back on on track and I'm not gonna ask for a raise of hands today but I would imagine all of you whether married or not you you know what it's like in a relationship to have something come in and disrupt the closeness, the fellowship that happens. And regardless of what it is, that cloud kind of hangs over everything until you confront it and gain some traction and move on. And it can be a tough thing when that happens in our relationships. And today I want us to see how it can be an even more tough thing when we sense that in our relationship with God. Just a cloud hanging over it that's preventing the closeness that we are to have. We've seen in our study to this point that life is filled with transitions. Transitions invariably create a tension. And that time of tension can rob us of the traction we need to move forward and faith. And today we're going to deal with an issue that we all have to deal with. If you're a believer today, we all have to deal with this. We have to understand what do we do in those times when as a believer we've sinned and we've done wrong 
And to help us learn how to get traction in those moments, we're going to study the life of a man by the name of David, a very specific occasion in his life. And he was a great man of faith that did so many wonderful things. But being a man, he did things that were wrong. And he knew what it was to totally blow it in his life. And thankfully, that did not have to be the end of his progress for God. And I want us to study that together this morning. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing. If you're glad to be in church, say amen. amen. And if you got that extra hour of sleep, I'm glad you won't have to get that in church this morning, all right? We can be awake together all the way through this study. And uh, Psalm chapter 51, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Where David here writes, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Now, I'm going to read on. How many of you would agree with me that our God's loving kindness is immense? It's not measurable. It's incredible. And David does wise in saying, God, I want mercy that's as big as your loving kindness, all right? That's a pretty massive mercy if it's in proportion to God's love. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth. In the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. I'm going to read on but it's Wonderful to think that the word we read in Genesis 1-1 where the Bible says in the beginning God created, bara is the word, out of nothing. David here asked God to do that creative work in his life. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. In, in verse 4 we find David saying here to the Lord. Against thee have I sinned. Our Father we're thankful to know that we serve a God. Whose loving kindness is beyond measure. And that your mercies are the same. And that. When we have occasions where we've done wrong, that if we're believers, our standing in you is totally secure and forgiveness is a settled issue in Christ. But Lord, when it comes to fellowship, that things can be restored. And I pray that this message today would be one of encouragement, that all of us would plug in wherever we are, that we would plug into this message and make an application to our lives. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. He killed a lion and a bear. He conquered a giant by the name of Goliath. He united the kingdom and he served as the king by which all other kings would be measured and evaluated. He was an incredible man of faith whose life was filled with so many good works from which we can learn. But as we know, the best of people are still just people at best. And David was not a perfect man. 
And in a lapse of faith, the Bible tells us that David made one bad decision that led to another bad decision that led to another bad decision that led to events that would change the course of his life. You see, David one time had said, as we read in Psalm 101 and verse 3, he said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. But on one evening, David broke his own rule. From the palace, he stood during a time when kings were to be in battle, and as he looked out over the kingdom, he saw on a roof a lady who was bathing, and and he broke his own rule. He said, I'm not going to set wickedness before mine eyes, but he stood there, and, and he stared, and the woman's name was Bathsheba. People have wondered, was Bathsheba wrong for bathing in a way that she could be easily seen? But uh, I want to say this without even addressing that. There is no amount of rationalization that can let David off the hook for standing there staring at something that God would say is wicked. David had Bathsheba brought to the palace where he entered into an adulterous affair with a woman he knew to be married to one of his generals. As a result, Bathsheba became pregnant and David, seeking to cover his own tracks, orchestrated some events that led to Bathsheba's husband Uriah being killed. So David commits adultery and orchestrates a man's life coming to an end, which would be murder. Murder. I hate even telling this story. It was an anomaly in David's life. And yet it happened. And and I have no doubt, based on what David wrote as he came out of this season in his life, that that he wondered to himself, how am I going to get beyond this? How am I going to move past this? And and we need to wonder, how do we recover from something that's, that's hurtful that we've done in our lives? Now, I know it's not popular to say this today. I understand what I'm about to say next is completely against the mindset of our society in general, but I decided when God called me to be a preacher that I would seek to rightly divide His Word, to read the Word, give the sense, cause the people to understand, and there will be times when what I say will be popular and receive well, and other times where people will say that's an outmoded, outdated concept, but I want you to know today that the Word of God is, is very clear that sex outside of a marriage between a man and a woman is wrong and it is sinful. So David has a sin problem. It was something that needed to be dealt with in his life. As people of faith in Jesus Christ, if you're here today and that's who you are, you know that you have this relationship with God through faith in Jesus, we understand that once we are saved, we've been saved from all of our sins. If you've come to know Jesus as your Savior, all the sins in your past were forgiven, but I want you to know that when Jesus died on the cross, all of our sins were still in the future as far as we're concerned, and so all of our sins when we got saved were forgiven, even the sins that were still in front of us, they're all under the blood of Jesus Christ. When we sin as Christians, we do not lose our salvation, but like a spat between a married couple, sin can rob us of the joy of the Christian life. The joy of fellowship with God and even the joy of fellowship with other Christians. There's a relational impact that comes from sin in the life of a Christian. It impacts our closeness with Jesus. I think it's important for us to understand that. In in David's case, he, he did the one thing he could. He poured his heart out to God, which is always a great thing to do. Listen, nobody loves you more, is for you more, knows what you need more than God. And and David's in this time in his life, and he's thinking, man, I can't believe I did this. 
Uh, I, I wouldn't do it given the chance uh, to do things over. I would change it, but I've done this. And so he goes to God. He pours out his heart in the psalm we've just read. And as he did, he provides all of us with a framework that can help us when we sin. From the psalm, we learn how to think about our sin and how to gain traction that can allow, allow us to move forward. So as we look at this psalm today, in some ways a difficult chapter to study, but a very important one to study, here's the first element I'll share with you. Think mercy, not merit. Think mercy, not merit. Now, certainly it could be said that David sinned against Bathsheba. He did. It, it could be said that David sinned against Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and he did that. It could be said that David sinned against his own family and against the kingdom that he led, and, and that would be true. But David realized this. All of those responsibilities ultimately came to me by way of God. And yes, a time would have to come where he'd make those things right with people, but David began by seeking to make sure things were right in his life practically by going to God. And so we read in verse 4 that David says to the Lord, against thee, thee only, have I sinned. David's confessing, God, I know I've hurt many people, but ultimately uh, I, I've hurt your heart by my behavior. And friends, I want you to know today that even as a believer, there's no way to make up the gap for our sin through a system of merit. So David comes to God in the very beginning of this prayer, and he says, God, have mercy upon me. You know, often what we do when we have sinned is we seek to minimize what we've done. Or we seek to blame others for that which we've done. We could read this psalm and say, well, David cheated on his wife, I... I have not done that, but those who have done that could say, well, I didn't kill the husband of the person I was with. But just work with me today. For someone who could say that, they could go on to say, but I wasn't the king of a nation who abused my authority to orchestrate these events. And the point I'm making is that we could try to explain away all that we've done that's wrong and that God would call sinful. My, my point is this. Freedom will not come until we recognize that all of our sin is an affront, first of all, against a holy God, and it's harmful to our walk with Him. And when we take responsibility for that which we have done, we can see our need of mercy met in the Lord. This summer after our church's anniversary Sunday, Lisa and I ran home, and I mean, within 25 minutes of church, we were uh, in my truck, and we were on our way to Colorado. Our vacation had begun. We were going to be with family out there, and, and uh, uh, I love Sundays. When, when your uh, life rhythm is Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, a lot of times when I'm done preaching, I just want to rest for a minute. Lisa said, let me drive. You just sit over there and rest. I said, man, that sounds good to me. And so uh, she's driving when we got about to Barstow, uh, I was just kind of zoning out, thinking about all kinds of things, living through the day again in my mind a little bit. And, and uh, as, as we got to Barstow, I just got the sense that we were flying. And uh, so I just, you know, curiously asked Lisa, hey, how fast are you going? And she looked down, and she's, she's not in the service, by the way, so we'll speak freely. Just don't tell her, okay? <laughs> And she'll be in the next one. I have to alter this story a little bit. But at any rate, uh, she looked down and she very casually said back to me, 93. To which I replied, that's too fast. <laughs> now you say, you, you don't want to break the law. It has nothing to do with the law. I don't want to pay tickets is what I don't want to do. That would be a bad way to start a vacation. She said, I'm going 93. And, and I about went nuts. And she said, just relax over there. You know, I, I got it. And, uh, and uh, she just kept on cruising. And, and uh, uh, she was really driving... Uh, very fast. How many of you would join me in praying for Lisa? <laughs> Thank you for that. 
few hours later, it was my turn to drive, and we stopped and got dinner, and, and uh, I have a friend who's a police officer, and I said, listen, everybody knows no one gets a ticket for going one mile over the speed limit, or two miles over, or three miles. Just, what's the rule? What is the unwritten rule? Let's cut to the chase. What can I get away with? And uh, my police officer friend said, if you're over by nine, it's fine. If you're over by ten, you're mine. That's what he said. Some of you need to write that down. This is the best truth you're going to get all day from me, all right? If you're over by nine on the highway, all right, now in the 25 zone, it'd be different, but on the highway, he said, if you're over by nine, it's fine. If you're over by 10, you're mine. So when it was my turn to drive, I, I did what uh, uh, he counseled me to do in that sense. I was in Arizona at this point. Speed limit was 75, so I put my cruise control on 84, nine miles an hour over. And uh, we were driving along, and uh, Lisa was in another world in her place over there, and I'm just as happy as I could be here. And uh, eating sunflower seeds, got one foot up on the dashboard, and I'm just cruising, happy. And uh, cars are passing me, passing me, and uh, it's getting later at night now, and sure enough, a car pulls behind me, and I'm thinking, why won't this guy just go around me, you know? And then the red light comes on, and uh, so I, I got pulled over, and Lisa's just loving this, you know? <laughs> She's so happy about this, you know? And, uh, of course, I know the routine, keep the hands visible on the steering wheel and, you know, be polite. And the guy walked up and uh, he uh, said, do you, do you have any weapons in the car? We're going to our family's farm and there's a lot of wild animals there. And so I said, yes. He said, get out of the car, please. I'm thinking I'm going to jail, you know. And uh, so I'm on the side of the freeway getting, getting stuff out. He said, I'd feel better about the stop if I had possession of those. And so we're going through this. Do you know how fast you were going? I did. I set my cruise control. And I said, yes. And, and uh, so he said, wait here. You know, I gave him all the stuff. And he was in his car for the longest time. And uh, I'm just sitting there. I'm so stressed out. Those of you guys that know me, I just, I was feeling so badly about this. And Lisa's looking. I'm standing on the side of the freeway. Sure, I'm going to jail. She's just busting up at me, you know. And uh, she's so happy about this. And uh, finally, the police officer came, came over. And, and uh, he said a few interesting things to me. Uh, first of all, he said, I didn't know there were any gun owners left in California. I said, well, you know, maybe a couple of us. We are going to the family farm. And, and uh, he said, uh, you know, I was a Marine. I lived in Oceanside. And uh, he said, are you a Marine? And I was thinking at that moment, would it help me if I said yes, you know? <laughs> and I said, no, no, I'm not, but I've got a lot of friends that are, you know, and uh, trying to build a bridge here. And he said, uh, I tell you what, Mr. Chapel, tonight I'm just going to give you a warning, uh, try to keep it down. And I shared what my police officer friend had shared with me. He said, yeah, I don't really follow those rules. You know, we just go by the speed limit here mostly in Arizona. And uh, I wanted to hug that man. He looked like the kind of man that did not want a hug from me. I did get a handshake out of him. Back in the car we got, and Lisa laughed at me the rest of the way to Flagstaff till we stopped for the night. But you know what that man gave me? Mercy. I, I want you to imagine if he came to the window and said, uh, driver's license, registration, proof of insurance, you know how fast you were going. Imagine if right off the bat I would have said, uh, listen, I was only over by nine. Everybody knows, over by nine, I'm fine. Over by ten, I'm mine, yours, whatever, and... And uh, what's the deal, man? This is such a small margin. It's, it's just fine. Uh, imagine if I would have said, uh, Officer, I know people have gone way faster than me. You know, I'm thinking Elise over here. And, and uh, I, I wasn't doing nearly as much as other people. She's way worse than I am. Can I get an amen right there, by the way? And uh, uh, maybe I could have said, Really? We're on a lonely highway late at, late at night. There's very few cars out here. You're telling me there's no more pressing policing matters to take care of than to follow a nice guy like me and pull him over and, and ruin his vacation? There's got to be. I could have said any of those things, and I would not have received mercy. I said a lot of yes, sirs, and yes, and how can I help you? 
None of that would have helped me. I had to own what I had done. And to gain traction when we sin, we need to be honest with God about what has happened. He has a life for us to live. And when we disobey His clearly given commands, we aren't to come to God with a resume to see, God, look at all I've done, or look at the worst things others have done to try and gain a merit with God. We're just to know that God has mercy to give. In Lamentations, the Bible tells us that it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Think mercy, not merit. Number two, think restoration, not retribution. Think restoration and not retribution. I think one reason we sometimes hesitate in these times is that we think we've sinned that God's mad at us and that God just wants his pound of flesh from us. We kind of go into lawyer mode. But friends, I want you to know that what God wants to do in our lives is that work that only he can do. And I'm glad to tell you today that God is in the restoration business. In verse 8, David says this to God, make me to hear joy and gladness. And David is teaching us in that statement that sin, it robs us and sin makes us weak. Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8 said it this way, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When David said, hey, I've lost my joy, he was saying, I've been robbed because of the sin. I'm, I'm, I'm in a time of weakness as a result. And so he comes to God in verse 12 and he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He was thinking restoration here, not retribution. David wisely sought the work of God. And friends, when you believe that our sin debt was settled in Jesus Christ, we need not be afraid to go to God for restoration. You see, it's not about going to God to seek to minimize our sin or to speak of our merit, nor is it about receiving retribution from a God who's angry at us. It's about believing that coming clean about our own sin can clear the air and open us up to God's work in our lives. We'll never gain traction without restoration that leads us to the next thought. The third thought I'll share with you this morning is this. Think relationship, not reimbursement. Think relationship, not reimbursement. Now, I understand I'm reading from an Old Testament passage and I'm making application to those of us living in a New Testament day of grace, but in the day in which David was living, there were legal consequences to what he had done. He was the king, but yes, he was living under a legal system that would have brought consequences for his behavior. But even more than that, there was a concern that was more on his heart it was his closeness with God, his closeness with God, his fellowship with God. It was all about relationship for David. It wasn't about finding a way to pay God back to even things out. In verse 11, David said it this way. He said, cast me not away from thy presence. He's speaking of relationship, of closeness. He said, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, I've been clear, and I hope to be crystal clear, that if you're a believer today, you, you know that you have that relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Never do we lose salvation, and our standing is entirely in Christ. We are not talking about being saved for uh, eternity. That's settled in Jesus. We're not talking about trying to erase a sin debt as believers. All our sin is under the blood, and we've been forgiven of all. We're talking about a close relationship with God where we're enjoying his presence 
God made it abundantly clear he's not going to leave us. In Hebrews 13 and verse 5, he said, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But friends, I want you to know when it comes to choices we make in life to disregard the clear teachings of Scripture, that puts us in a place where we lose the joy of closeness with him. And that broke David's heart. And it should break our hearts. Just as a husband would say, man, I should have been nicer to my wife. We could have enjoyed this time together. There should be something in the heart of a Christian when we knowingly have, have blown it where we should be able to come to God and say, God, I am thankful that my sins are under the blood, that I've been forgiven, that I have a position that is in Christ. But Lord, I want our closeness to be all that you would have it to be. It's about relationship, not about reimbursement. And when we've allowed sin to rob us of joy and strength and hope and traction, we should rush to God because we miss his active presence in our lives. Again, it's all about relationship. And, and, and it is very, very similar to marriage. Having an argument doesn't make you unmarried. doesn't mean you're not a married person if you have a spat in, in your marriage relationship. Uh, Lisa and I have managed to build a great relationship. And when those moments of disagreement come, uh, we do well to say, let's, let's deal with this quickly so things can be back the way they should be. We don't want to lose any of the closeness. And it's similar, if you would, in the life of a Christian where we understand sin does not remove us from that relationship. But if we value that relationship We'll say, God, what I did there, that was dumb. I want to agree with you. This was not right. I want to agree with you. And as Christians, we know that we still sin. Now, as we're growing in the Lord, being sanctified by his grace, we, we should be looking more and more like Jesus as we go. And uh, none of us are going to arrive to perfection in this life, but hopefully we're maturing in our faith. But Christian sin, of course, so it is imperative that we remain sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit so we can keep our relationship with Christ open, free, and vibrant, that we have a, a heart that is willing to sense the conviction of God when he might say, hey, your words there with that person were too harsh. Your attitude's not right. Your behavior's inconsistent with what a child of God should be doing. It's imperative that we listen to God. I love the way David prayed in verse 12. He said to the Lord, uphold me with thy free spirit. In a sense here, David was saying, you know, I miss that freedom I once enjoyed as we spent time together. And the reason for agreeing with God about our sin is not to somehow balance an account with him. It's about relationship with him. It's about his love for us and our corresponding love for him. And the final thought I'll share with you this morning. We need to think future and not failure. Think future and not failure. So David comes to God and he comes totally clean with the Lord. He's honest. He's humble. And I'm glad to see in this final thought, he's hopeful. He's hopeful. His motivation is as simple as this. Man, I want my relationship with God to be as close as it can possibly be. And with that backdrop, I love this final thought. Listen again to the end of verse 12 going into verse 13. Uh, we read this. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, and I love this. God, as you do what only you can do, let me tell you what I will do then. In response, God, I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And David, once again here, turns his eyes 
to the future. In other words, as he prays in faith, he anticipates that God is gracious and merciful and long-suffering. And he says, God, I want you to do that work in my life that only you can do. And God, as you work in me, I want to open myself up so that you can work through me. God, if you can take my test and use it as a testimony, let's do that. If you can take my mess and use it as a message, let's do that. But God, I want you to know in advance, I believe you to be a gracious God and I want to respond to your work in my life. David is saying, in essence, God, I believe there's more to my story than just this sad chapter. And God, I have every intention of using my life for your glory. Friends, as believers, our forgiveness in Christ has been secured. It was received at salvation. But as Christians, when we admit, confess, and forsake our sin, we are agreeing with God in our lives. And there's always a great future in store for us when we come to terms with the greatness of our Savior. We need to agree with the Apostle Paul, who in Philippians 3 said this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, he says, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. He said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. As most of you know who've received the note-taker's journals the booklets we passed out for the series these messages had to be written some time ago those books were passed out a month ago and these sermons were written before that and and i'd worked on this message and as i was thinking on it and it's still in my mind i, I read a little story it did not say if it were was a true story or not but it was a story about a little brother and sister and they went to spend time with the grandparents and in the story the little boy they said his name was johnny he received a, a gift of a slingshot and so he was having fun out in a more country setting at his grandparents' place. And uh, he's getting there, he's shooting at everything, shooting at everything. Just got this thing, and, and he's missing everything. You know, he just got this, he's trying to figure out how it works. He's shooting, he's missing, he's shooting, he's missing. And uh, uh, Johnny, come in, it's time for dinner. All right, one last shot. And he turns around looking for one last thing to take a shot at. And he sees his grandmother's pet duck, who she uh, uh, likes to feed, and it hangs around. And, and he, he thinks, I'll never hit it. I haven't hit anything all day. One last shot. He just kind of shoots at it real quick. He hits the duck. He kills the duck. And uh, he does what we all do when we've done something wrong. He looks around immediately to see who saw that. And he saw his sister observing that. So he went to his sister. He said, please, please don't tell on me. I'll do whatever you want. And as it turned out, she wanted a lot. She wanted him to do her chores as well as his chores for their whole time at the grandparents' place. After a few days of this agreement, the granddad came to them one afternoon and said, hey, I'm going down to the pond to go fishing. Do you guys want to come with me? And both of the kids, brother and sister, said, yeah, we want to go. And they're all excited. And the grandmother shouts out from the kitchen window that the sister can't go because it's, his, it's her turn to set the table and help with dinner. Well, the sister looks at Johnny and says, remember the duck. <laughs> and uh, he hung his head and he walked in the house and he starts helping his grandmother story said as he was in there he was just so overcome with guilt he finally told his grandmother everything that happened just poured his heart out you know and and as he said that to his surprise his grandmother said oh Johnny I know I was watching you out the kitchen window when you did that I, I knew what you had done and then she said I was just waiting to see how long you were gonna let your sister make a slave of you And I wonder sometimes 
if I can use that as an analogy, if God looks at us and thinks, I wonder how long you're going to let this thing in your life, this, this sin, burden you down and make a slave of you. We've been forgiven in Christ. We've been set free in Christ. But there are times when we need to come to God and say, God, I'm agreeing with you on this issue. I know what I did was wrong. I know I've been forgiven. I'm accepted in you. But God, I don't want to make this hour and a half drive home and not enjoy the conversation along the way. God, in the journey of life, I, I just don't want my mess to come cloud in and, and deprive me of the strength that comes by way of having salvation that brings joy to my life. So God, help me in this time. I think far too often we allow sin to make us slaves when we have really been set free. Maybe you're here today and your personal testimony is that you know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Well, perhaps you're here today with that assurance, but you're carrying a load of guilt that Jesus has already dealt with on the cross. Why don't you just come to God today and thank Him for the forgiveness He's given and determine to look to the future with an understanding that He still has much for you to do. There's joy just agreeing with God. Listen, take your lawyer hat off. God's not a prosecutor. Don't try to justify what you've done or minimize what you've done. Just come to God. And say, God, I may have to have some conversations with some other people in time, but every role in my life has come from you. So ultimately, my sin is against you. And I acknowledge that was wrong. Shouldn't have done that. I want to clear, clear the way. I don't want to feel funny when I come to you in prayer. I, I, I know you're going to hear me. I, I just, I don't want that to rob us. God, this is the last thing I want in my mind when I'm trying to read your word to hear from you. I just want you to know I'm sorry about what I did. I'm grateful for your love and forgiveness and that your mercy is as big as your love. And I think the Lord will say, I, I sense you're gaining some traction that will allow you to move forward from this in faith. Our Father, thank you for this beautiful picture we find in David's life. Lord, we're grateful to know that you have a plan for everything. God, I think at times no one's more disappointed in decisions we make, actions we take, than we are with ourselves. Lord, help us never to forget that if we're believers, you're our loving, heavenly Father. That you want nothing more than to help us grow and to learn. And that your correction is never anything to be feared. That it's given in love with a divine purpose, always for our good and for our growth. Ultimately, for your glory. God, I pray that you'd help us to live the clean lives that you've called us to live. May we agree with your word and live it out. And God, when we get it wrong, help us just to be quick to, to own up to that and acknowledge it. Lord, help us not to be on a merit system where we just try and want to have enough good to outweigh the bad. Lord, help us to know that you're not coming at us to get a pound of flesh and we feel like we've done something wrong, that ultimately it's all about that relationship. Help us, we pray. Our heads are bowed this morning, and I know this is a little bit of a sobering topic, but it's one we need to hear talked about. There should be zero judgment in this room, person to person. But I hope that each of us today can open our hearts up before God and say, God, I just, 
like the songwriter, I want to be able to sing from my heart, there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. Yeah, we talked about that. He knows, I know. He knows, I know. <laughs> and I know He knows. It's under the blood. I don't know what you're carrying around today, but it might be good to take a page from the life of David. Just come to God. Talk about that with Him.